tell others about them. You can invite your friends that you work with, family members. It doesn't have to be people here at Roxalana. We have a lady that came. I'm sorry, I don't remember your name. What, Susan? All right. I, honestly, I was thinking that, but I get so many wrong. After the cantata Sunday night, she said, what time are you starting? So here's the way I thought we'd do it. We'd just study the Bible. We'll open with prayer, and if anybody has something you want to share, you can always mind the Spirit. When I lay eyes on you, I'll, I'll hush, or if somebody points you out, I'll hush. But we'll just come and, and invest some time in the Word of God where we won't have to be too, too rushed, and we'll go anywhere from at least 30 minutes to 45 or to an hour. It's as much as you, as much as you all want. I think this is a subject that we could probably never exhaust if we just kind of keep digging in it, but I trust that it will be a subject that will end up being a blessing with you. One disclaimer that I'm going to give you before I start, I don't have all the answers, but I'll do my best to give you an answer and help you find one for your question. But I know all the questions I had before I come to understand what the Word of God says about the security of the believer. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit of my history in just a little bit. Maybe you and me and Dorothy do at least. And maybe there are others here that have had a similar experience. Maybe you're even having one now. But uh, one other thing, if this time isn't good for you all, let me know. We can, we can change it if there's enough people that are agreeable to that. It, uh, it, it, it isn't set in stone. We're not married to 6 o'clock. I just thought it would be a good convenient time uh, to do that. So uh, with that in mind, we're going to look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Go ask John Soyce if he wouldn't mind standing and ask the Lord to bless us in our effort and time together. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to find it. I'm not going to give you my opinion. I'm just going to give you what the Word of God says, and I'll let you draw your opinion. I'm not going to convince anybody. Everybody understands that? Say amen. Now, if, if you want to accept what I show you in the Word of God, that's between you and the Lord. It's not a matter of whether you'll be saved or not. This, this isn't a salvation um, uh, issue, all right? But I'll tell you what, when you learn the truths about the Word of God, it'll give you something that you never had before. And it will give you a security. I know that sounds redundant and cute, but I didn't plan to say it, but, but, it, but it is true. Someone else, this is good. It's good for my ears to hear. Did it help you? Hebrews 6, I'm guessing. Okay. And Hebrews 10, did you go there? Okay. Now, see, I'm not going to try to hide any scripture that, listen, now I'm going to say this, seems to contradict the security of the believer. In fact, one of the points that I plan to make tonight, if time um, allows, is one of the things to do when we study the Word of God is never try to understand what is clear by what is not clear. Okay? When, when the Word of God is clear on something, don't take something that, that isn't clear to try to understand it or muddy muddy the water. Because we look at scriptures like Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10, uh, Galatians chapter 8. I, can I give you one of my old ones out of the Old Testament really written? I know this can go sideways in a heartbeat because I want to tell you everything that I know. That's not much, but I still want to tell it to you. Uh, I believe it's chapter 3 of the book of Ezekiel. Um, I know there's some in chapter 33, but if I can find it in chapter 3, 
Uh, I didn't bring, unfortunately, I'm like John, I didn't bring my list. Yeah, there it is, chapter 3. I want to read a couple of verses in the book of Ezekiel, and then after that. But, but I remember all of my strongholds. For instance, John 10, 27, 28, no man can pluck them out of my hand. I said, nobody can, but I can. So let me ask you, what's the Word of God say? No man or no men but yourself. It says no man. That undoubtedly would include who? Me or you. Exactly right. It would include us. So that's what I say. I'm, I'm going to really rely time and again. I'll keep asking you what the Scripture says and just trust in it. Now here's what it's going to do, and for you, it won't make you feel comfortable or it won't allow you to feel comfortable until you begin to accept what it says. Until you and I learn to change our thinking and let the Word of God speak and let it have its effect on us. We just simply trust the Word of God instead of what we do, or in my case, plus what somebody else had said. Does that make sense? I'll probably say this again later. I'll probably repeat intentionally myself a lot. Can anybody tell me how we learn to talk? You, you don't remember learning, do you? you? Isn't it amazing? The first two years you have a baby, you spend all your time teaching them how to stand up and walk and talk. The rest of your life, you spend the rest of your life telling them to sit down and shut up. It's, it's kind of funny. So how do you, Dorothy? How do you learn? Okay, you parrot. You hear somebody say it, and then you parrot it. You mock it. You mimic it. That's how, that's how we learn. Your kids learn many things from you because you do what with what you teach? Repeat. Thank you. Repeat it. Right? How many times in a day or a week do you repeat things? Tons, right? But isn't that one of the key uh, cornerstones of teaching? Repeat, 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 repeat. But if we just learn to let the Word of God speak, It'll be amazing. Now, this is one of my main, one of my main strongholds, chapter 3 of the book of Ezekiel. Now, listen to me, though. This is Old Testament. And I emphasize that because I want to let you know we must learn how to rightly divide the Word of God and must understand the Word of God in the place that we find it, meaning not only in the Scripture, but also in the dispensation we find. Everybody got me? Listen to what Ezekiel says. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 17. He said, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked ways to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thy hand. If thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wicked ways, nor from his wicked way, he shall die and in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. And when a righteous man doth turn, and here's the one I really wanted, now listen to this, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die, because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sins. His righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered, but his blood that will I require at thine hand. Wow. If I, if I didn't know any better, I'd say a man in those verses could lose his salvation. But when is this written? 
What dispensation? Under what? Under the law. It's not grace. Everybody understand that shaky little head. Grace doesn't come for a few hundred years. Grace is the dispensation that you and I live in. Now, does this verse or these verses mean that that man that was righteous, that God forgot all about his righteousness, does that mean he's going to die lost and go to hell? Y'all are afraid right now, aren't you? It does not. Here's what it does mean. The law, friend, didn't budge. You broke the law, right? This man that may have done, this is a poor illustration, but I'm a poor preacher with poor illustrations. If this guy, say, had been 49 years old on planet Earth, and up to that day, up to his 50th birthday, he had kept the law of the Sabbath and the other laws that he could as perfectly as he could, on the 50th day of his life, it happened to be a Sabbath, a Sabbath, he decided, you know what? I'm going to build me a fire today. What did the law say was to happen to him? What? He was to die, was he not? So here's what that means. Because he broke the law, this man was to die because the law said you cannot build a fire. If you do, you'll die. You can't pick up sticks. You can't do a lot of things on the Sabbath. According to God's law, not according to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So, when he went before the judges, when they tried him at the gate of the city that he lived in, they said, look, buddy, we know you've lived 49 years a righteous man, but you broke the law today, so you got to die. Does that make sense? To anybody, raise your hand if it does. It doesn't, Paula? Okay, what doesn't make sense about it? Now look, we're in no hurry. I want people to get this. What doesn't make sense, honestly? Okay, why do you think, according to what we're talking about? He lived in the day that the law said, if you break it, you're going to die. Now, here's the deal. When he got before the Lord, he didn't forget his righteous years. That doesn't, see, if, if we think he died and went to hell, all right, I think we're reading into the Word of God or doing what's called, I'm going to give you a big word, and I'll explain them later, eisegesis. When we take a meaning into the Word of God that we believe is true, instead of taking something out of the Word of God, which is exegesis, from what the Word of God says. Now, I didn't say this Bible study would be easy, but I said it'll be a blessing. That was it. That's the key. See, and I used to apply that to everything. Until I began to study this. Now look, I want to tell you all something. I didn't get my understanding of the security of the believer from reading a book by Charles Stanley or Adrian Rogers, and I, I'm not much of a fan on Charles Stanley anymore after he stood on the stage of his son, Andy Stanley, before he died and uh, gave all that he was worth for all the years that he had ministered before. He's not going to lose his salvation for that, but his son, I believe, is a flat-out heretic. And his dad stood on his stage, and probably he knew, but because he was a dad and son, their relationship had been bad for years. I'm guessing, I know that to be true, though, it had been bad for years. What he did in giving his testimony to his son, it just, you know, for me and Charles Stanley, or anybody else that believed in the security of the believer. Mine came through reading and studying the Word of God. Back to John 3.16. That's going to be our anchor verse for this study. And... Uh, 
We're just going to see what it has. We're just going to see what it says. And we're just going to believe the Word of God. Anybody got any comment, question? Look, look, listen, listen to me. Interrupt me anytime. Everybody heard me say that? Say amen. I mean, I, I don't want to run through this. I want you to get it. I want you to understand it. I want you to ask questions. I want it to be that way. I want it to be from there and up here. I want us to get this. This, this is precious to me. I've been dealing with whether or not to do this for probably three or four months. Been praying about it, couldn't get rid of it, couldn't get away from it. I didn't want to do it on Wednesday night. I know I could do that. I knew I could do a series from the pulpit. It's my pulpit. I, I could do that. But I thought, well, here's what I'll do. I'll just add an adjunct night to our schedule. Puts a lot more weight on me, but, but thank God I, I, it's not that hard. I'm willing to do it and wanting to do it if it will be a blessing. That's everybody that can, on the count of three, let's quote together John 3.16. All right? If you need to look at it, look at it. But if you're young in the Lord, try to commit this precious verse of Scripture that in 25 words, just, it says so much, it's not, it's not funny. On the count of three, one, two, three. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him in it but have everlasting life. Believeth in him, right? I get mixed up sometimes, as many times as I've quoted that. Now, what does it say according to John 3, 16? Let's imagine that there's no other verse in the Bible that has the phrase everlasting life or any other no other verse. No other verse has everlasting in it. No other verse has eternal in it. If you had one verse of Scripture, what would this tell us about a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, that put their faith and trust in Christ? What would they have? Are you sure? You're sure because what? What else do we need? What, what about though when... When, when you get to not feeling like you're saved? Okay, what, what, what about when you don't act like you're saved? I want all y'all move and get real close to Steve Crow. He's got it. Folks, listen. Just let the Word of God speak. Just, just let it say what God means for it to say, what it does say. I, I cannot tell you all how that liberated me when I learned to do that. Can I go ahead and look? See, my, my, my testimony is not real early on in my outline. Can I go ahead and give you all my testimony now? I've been in the ministry for 46 and a half, almost 46 and a half years. Well, 46 and... A half, yeah. And uh, when I first started, I mean, my, my life, I, I've always been taken to church, right? My great-grandmother, she was a Methodist. She was a saint. You all would have loved her. Her and Miss Meeks, they would have had a time together. She'd get happy and come out of there, and she had that little old white hanky, and she'd sing a song. I've, hunt, I, I've got angels' food to eat. No, honey is so sweet. Man, I'm telling you, she had the spirit and the power of God all over her. 
Mama, her daughter and her husband, Papa was a deacon. Mom and dad ran and out of church like a lot of us are when, when they were young. But I was always taught to love the Lord, that there was a God. The Word of God was the Word of God. But nobody taught me, and they didn't teach me a lot of things, but nobody taught me a lot of things the Word of God said. They taught me what they thought the Word of God said. Now, hold on just a minute. I'm not throwing them under the bus. We all are guilty of that. When, when regardless of where we grew up in church, that's what we do. We parrot what has been said. I got a message. I don't know. I preached it in the first year that I was a pastor. And I'll give you the text. I won't tell you the content of it, but you'll know where I took it from. Um, but but, but I, I used the text, one thing thou lackest. I'm not going to tell you what I pray. I'd like to throw that outline away because you throw it away and I'll kill you. I, t I told him, I said, Lord, I don't need that piece of paper as a reminder. He said, you heard what I said. Now, he didn't speak to me verbally. You know how your heart feels and all that kind of thing. But, but I parroted what those old preachers that I was coming up under, that I was revering and honoring, and thinking I could learn from them, isn't that how we do it? By people that have been there a while. So I began to just speak what they spoke. What had been spoken to me, I spoke. I didn't believe uh, that Israel had a future. I didn't believe in the millennial reign of Christ. I didn't believe the rapture as I teach it. I didn't believe in the judgments as I teach it. They taught one final judgment, uh, and that comes out of Matthew 25, uh, the judgment of the goats and the sheep. It wasn't nations, it was men and women to see whether you're lost or saved. They spiritualized the Word of God. I remember when I first started being a student of the Word of God, I'd read a book, and I'd come away thinking, well, it can't be what that says. It's got to be something else that, you know, that's not there. How, how can I get that? What? I mean, it drove me crazy. And then one time, one day, not one time, one day, I never will forget, I was in my study. By this time, I'd been in the ministry, I don't know, maybe two years, maybe a couple more than that. I'd started doing some studies through Bethany, a school down in Hodgesville, Hodgesville Alabama, doing long-distance work in theology. And I, I was challenged by, by what I was studying. I was seeing things in the Word of God. And I remember one day in my study, I got to a place that I closed my Bible, got up and threw it down, and I said, it can't be that way. You know how the Holy Spirit is. He's so loving, comforting, and kind. He said, now again, I didn't hear you. You know what I'm talking about when I say I heard the Holy He said, it can't be anything but that way. Why do y'all think Paul spent three, three and a half years in the Arabian desert? Anybody ever think about that? What did, he, what did he learn, you think, Steve? How to apply what he knew about the law under the age of grace? Hey, he was a lawman. He was a Pharisee. He was a pioneer. And when God called him, he took him to school. And Paul came out of those times and those years that he experienced in the Arabian desert a great theologian, a great man of God. And because of him, we've got the great doctrines of the New Testament that we do. And God 
helped him forge them out by taking the Old Testament and showing how to apply it in the New Testament. And that's why Paul, when he went from place to place preaching the gospel, he went to the synagogues and the Bible said he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. He took the Scriptures to show them Christ from the Old Testament, what it, what it meant in the New Testament. Does that make sense? So here's what I did. I wrestled with that. I prayed about that. And here was my, here was my big conundrum. There's two of them, actually. Number one, I didn't think I'd be smarter or could be smarter than anybody that came before me. Any of my teachers, my grandfather, my mom, my dad, uh, horse sitting, my great mentor, all these other men of God that I love, like Bob Workman, Elijah Dykes, and I could go on and on and on. And one day the Lord said, I got a question for you. Are you going to walk in the light and I'm giving you, or are you going to try to walk in the light I gave your grandfather? And when I realized that I could preserve their integrity, that I could keep my spiritual heroes on that shelf and honor them, hold their integrity sound. And God told me, he said, you know, I, I knew in my spirit again, God told me take that, you know, not literally, but I knew they were saved. They did the best they could. Now, my responsibility was to decide what will I do with the light God's given me. So you know what I did? It liberated me. Set me free to accept what God said while still retaining my mind, my memories, my love for and my honor for those that didn't see the Word of God like I see it. Anybody have any trouble with that, their self? Anybody? You did? Dorothy did? And did it, didn't it give you a peace and an assurance that you never had before? All right, look, let's go into John again, chapter, chapter 20, and we're going to look at verse, we're going to look at verse 31. I had a list where I had counted the number of times the word eternal and everlasting are used just in the New Testament. Um, if I remember right, eternal was there 46 times. Everlasting, I can't remember, maybe 20. But I'll bring that next week. And also, I apologize, I intended to have you all a handout of not every scripture in the New Testament that teaches the security of the believer, but several of them, a lot of them. By the grace of God, I'll have it for you next week. I just, believe it or not, ran out, of, ran out of time. John chapter 20, listen to this. This is, John says, this is why he wrote. I'm going to pick it up in verse 30. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have what? Through his name. Now, let me ask you, what kind of life remembering John 3.16? Everlasting, eternal. Shall the word of God dovetails together? Now, let's go to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. Before we even read anything, some of you are still turning. Let me ask everybody a question. How many of you believe that we have an inheritance in heaven? Amen. Yeah, Sean's over here shaking his head really quick. I like that, don't you, Sean? Yeah, he's got treasures. How, how many of y'all believe, don't read now, don't look, but look up here. How many of you believe they're sure? Don't have to worry about them. You never question it. 
You just know you got to get there and get them, right? How come? How, how, how come you have that confidence? Why do you? Because the Word of God says, okay. Now, let me ask you, how many of you all are just as sure that He'll keep you because you've trusted in Him like He keeps the rewards He has for you? How many of you believe that? Shake your little head. See, if we're not careful, we'll believe one thing and not another thing because what we've heard gets in the way. Now, see, it, to, for me, it, it was a battle. What I heard, what I thought, and what I felt or didn't feel. See, years ago, I was so, I was so mixed up. I'm telling you, I was so mixed, but I'm glad I was. I can meet with people. I can understand them. Man, I can love them and be patient with them and say, look, let's, let's look and see what the Word of God says. How wonderful it is. We're going to pick it up in verse, in verse 3. Peter writing here, and he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has begotten us. Now that can be referring to two things. It can be referring to a new birth, which it is without a doubt. You must be born again, born from above. But in the context here, there's also an idea, I believe, that it's referring to our resurrection. Because God told uh, in his prophecy, Psalm 2, I believe it is, he said, this day have I begotten thee. He's not talking about his virgin birth. He's talking about his resurrection out from among the dead. Now listen, he goes on. Here's what we're begotten to, to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Who's he talking to? That's it. Now, how does that sentence end? What kind of punctuation? Jimmy Moles would be proud of me by emphasizing this. With a what? So, there's an unbroken thought continuing, right? It doesn't end with the period. So he goes on to say, it's reserved for you. We don't know who that is. So Peter is going to identify it. Who is those that Peter speaks to? You that are kept by the power of God. Who's that referring to? Believers, right? Us. We that have put our trust and faith in Christ. It's thus who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. Now let me ask y'all, really it's not a trick question, but, but it could be for some people in the, right, in the right group. Was anybody in here able to save yourself? Nobody, right? How did you get saved? What was the process? What did you do? You repented? Did you do any work to get saved? It's not the works, is it, Steve? What else did you do? Trusted, believed. Pretty simple, isn't it? And from that point on, he's able to keep us. You who are saved, listen to this, he goes on to say again, who are kept by the power of God. We didn't have power to save ourselves. Look up here, everybody look at me. We don't have the power to keep ourselves. If God didn't keep us, we couldn't be kept. We could not be kept. So we found out tonight 
that we just need to let the Word of God speak. And if John 3, 16 were the only verse of Scripture in the Word of God, regardless of what everything else said, even Hebrews 6, what kind of life does Jesus give to those who put their trust in Him? What? Now, does that make sense? It, is, it makes so much sense. I hope there's a peace that's already coming across to you. I hope, I hope there's a, a, a realization that this is real. Now, we're not, we've not got to the difference between faith and works. We've not yet got to the scripture where we'll study the difference between, between uh, getting rewards at the judgment seat of Christ and losing rewards. Not your salvation. Everybody heard me say that? Say amen. See, just rightly dividing. Can, can anybody quote? 2 Timothy 2.15. I'll help you get started, but study too. A workman that needeth not right. Study to shew thyself approved. Here's the key passage. Unto God. Study to shew thyself approved unto God. I don't have to prove myself to you all, but I do when I prove myself to God. See, here's one of the deals, too, about this. Either, or James says that we're saved by works, right? Faith without works is what, James said. But Paul comes along and says we're saved by what? Faith. So how, how those, those are contradictory, at least on the surface, but when you begin to study them, I'll, I'll take this deeper later, just trying to let you know what you can get into in this class. They complement each other. They're not fighting each other, but they're standing back to back supporting each other. In the eyes of men that can only see my works because I've got faith in my heart, they can't see my heart, then they'll think I'm saved by my works or I'm saved and prove it by my works. Are you all with me? But God, who can see my heart, Paul said that we're saved by what? By faith. Y'all didn't get that, did you? Did you? It's amazing. Exactly. But, but God says, how, how does he say it in the book of Matthew? Um, something about Man, seeing your good works, so he may glorify God in heaven. We're to display him, but you're exactly right. He sees him, and that's really all that does matter. He does. All right, let me this this. Anybody got questions here in First Peter? Okay, Marquis, try to memorize some of them if you can. Let's go to the book of Romans. I'm going to blow you socks off on this in chapter five, and and we'll and we'll quit here. Maybe. How long do y'all want to go honestly? I mean, is 6.45 okay? Is, is that too late? Okay, well, that sounds good to me. Well, I mean, sometimes y'all know here on Wednesday night, we'll just kind of really get, you know, in, in a sweet spot and we got we to gotta go. So we don't, we don't have those limitations here, but I don't want to wear you out either. Don't want to do that. We've got so much to cover, so much to say, but believe me, hey, everybody, listen. Honestly, I'm telling you, if whatever you've heard already, if whatever you have heard already tonight, you'll just take it, go home. If we never have another Bible study and you begin to build on that, just let the Word of God speak, 
I'll tell you what, you'll come up to me someday and say, man, I got it, and I like it. I have missed so much in life early on. I mean, I, I, I remember getting saved, and I, I had no peace. You say, why? Because I, I didn't know for sure I was going to heaven. I hoped I would. I done everything I knew to do, but I never had any assurance. I knew that just any moment, boy, you know, I used to call it revolving door salvation. You're in, you're out. You're in, you're out. You go down the road 55 miles an hour and you die, you're good. You go down 56, you die, you're, you're, you're a goner. Let me tell y'all something, what, what 1 John 1, what is it? 7 says, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from some sin. All sin. Not just our past sin. See, I had that in my mind. I thought, boy, I got saved all my sins in the past, and there was way too many. He took care of it. Somewhere or another, for all of those ahead of me, I was some way responsible. How stupid is that? What a terrible, terrible, terrible way to live. Everybody in Romans 5 say amen. All right. I'm going to pick it up reading in, in verse 6. And I'm telling you, to me, this is, I mean, Romans is just the sweet spot of the Word of God. But this, this is, among other passages here in the book of Romans, this is one of the sweetest sections of Scripture that there is. Now, it was written by the Apostle Paul, never went to Rome, but... Uh, I believe the theme of the book of Romans is justification by faith. Can anybody define justification? What? Just as if I had not sinned. That's the classic and old simple definition that's true of justification. Anybody want to add on to it? I'd be tempted to tell you I'd take you out to dinner if anybody could quote mine by verbatim. But here's my definition of justification, and listen to it closely. I've worked on this for years. It's a good one. I borrowed from different men and prayed and looked. But justification is a judicial act of God whereby, here's the key, in light of what Jesus did at Calvary, he's able to save lost mankind okay, from all their sins while there's... No, that's not right. That's what he does. But in light of what Jesus did at Calvary, he is able to declare just, not make, but declare just the sinner while still in a sinning state. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are sinless in here tonight? Never commit a sin now that you're saved. Well, look, let me ask you a question then. If sin sends you to hell, how much sin do you have to sin in order to go to hell? And if sin sends you to hell, who is the one that sets the amount on them? If sin sends you to hell. Hey, I just told you the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. And I will tell you, being saved... And knowing you're secure in Christ doesn't give you a license to sin. Please, everybody heard me say that. Say amen. And we'll say more about that later. So, This stuff can drive us crazy if we let it. And I've been there and done it. 
I mean, I have wrestled with all this. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. I ask you a while ago if anybody was strong enough to save themselves, had power enough to save themselves, and you all said no. We agree with Peter that we're saved and kept by the power of God. If you believe that, say amen. I like that. He goes on to say, For scarcely for a righteous man one, one die, yet peradventure for a good man should he, some would even dare to die. What's the next two words? Now, everybody ought to get up and shout on this, and I know you're not, but we ought to. But God commendeth, declared, or made known his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, what did Christ do for us? All right, now look, look, look. Let me tell you all something. We ought to focus on the death of Christ. If you agree with that, say amen. One of my, or, or my five favorite words in the Word of God is found in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Christ died for our sins. Is that what the book says? That's what it says. Christ died for our sins. Thank God he did. All of them. But wait just a minute. That's not all we did. How many times have we really heard messages that emphasize the life that Christ is living now and what it means to me and you? What does does Christ living now mean to me and you? Anybody, real quick. Have you given it any thought? That we'll have eternal life. And it's all dependent on him, not me or you. It's exactly right. It's exactly right, Jerry. I don't think we give that enough emphasis. He died to save us. Anybody got any idea what I'm going to say next? I know you do. Somebody say it. But finish it out. He lives to what? Say it, Jerry. See, there's a a two-part to this. We rejoice in his death. We preach the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But Jesus said, I am he that was dead, I'm alive, and I'm alive forevermore. And he told us in John's gospel before he had John to write that in the Revelation, because I live, ye shall live. So if I'm in Christ, and we'll get to that, I've kind of got a thought in my mind where we'll run through how we get salvation, uh, who's involved in it in the Trinity, what the Holy Spirit does, and just go right down. I, but it's going to be like this. It's going to be hodgepodge, I'm afraid, maybe. But is this making sense? We emphasize the death, burial, and resurrection. That's the gospel. It's the good news. But it goes beyond that. He not only died, but he lives. And as long as he lives, we'll live also because we're in him. That's a good part, but listen to this. I'm going to blow you away. He's in us. Shoo. All right, now look. Let's go on. Everybody clear? Making sense? Okay. What's the next two words? Yeah, I, I gave that, and I quoted the verse, but God committed his love toward us while we yet sinners. Christ died for us. What's the next two words in verse 9? Much more. Do you ever pay much attention to those two words? Well, see, I have for a long time, but I didn't do it as deeply as I needed to. And thank God, I'm going to tell you this, this study helped me do it. And it's been a blessing. A marvelous blessing. This is one of the phrases that, that is the Apostle Paul's. He uses it. Holy Spirit stirred him to use it and apply it. I believe Peter uses it one time. I think about every other place in, in, the, in the epistles. 
you find it several times in the Gospels. Can't remember how many times. But when you find it in the epistles, Paul, it, it, it's his phrase. It's his phrase when it comes. Uh, but he said, much more than being now justified by his blood, listen to this, we shall be saved from wrath. How? Now, I asked a question early on when I came here at this church as your pastor. I said, does God love us more now that we're saved than he did before we were saved? What's the answer? I think he does. Because he goes on to say, much more. I didn't write it, I'm just quoting it. He, he loved us enough when we were sinners to give the best that he had. And I know I'm just kind trying to split hairs. And I, I'm no, I just want to emphasize something that I emphasize something that I, I think is true. And I got the same reaction down there, and it was good. I'm still good here with this. I, I just listen to me. Bible study is to provoke, isn't it, Miss Carney? It's not to give you all the answers, but it is to provoke us. I say things up here from the pulpit. I imagine y'all think I am totally ignorant. He has lost it and just proven it, and I knew he was that way all the time, but he just proved it, took away all doubt. I do things intentionally. I'll even, I'll even become the devil, devil's advocate sometimes to try to get people in the pew to think, to think, to think. So look, let's go on. And we got to, oh Lord. He said, much more than now being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We've already been saved from wrath in the past, have we not? Salvation means that we are delivered from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day the presence of sin. See, I'll get into the fact that we have been saved, we are being saved, we shall be saved. Salvation is in three tenses. It's a progressive thing. It's secure the first moment we get it, but it progresses to a final state. That's what the book teaches. It goes on. He said, for if or since or in light of the fact when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. What's the next two words? So now y'all tell me whether God loves us more now that we're saved than when we weren't saved. I'll let y'all decide. But listen now. If or since when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by what? How about our life? That's not what it says, is it? Whose life? Okay, we're just going to let the word of God speak. Now look before you go too far. How you live matters. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Come ye out from among the world. Be ye separate. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Not fashioning yourself according to the former lust. I could go on and on. But let's face it, we can never do enough good works to be saved. Nor will we ever do enough good works to be kept. We're saved by grace through faith. We're kept by the power of God. He saved us by his death. He keeps us saved by his life. And when we live for him and he lives in us, 
We live the life that's honorable to Him. We're not perfect. How many times in the pulpit I told you we're not perfect Christians, but we have a perfect salvation? How many, anybody ever heard me say that? All right, look. You don't know what that word, much more that phrase is. Y'all can write this down. This is good. And you'll see this throughout the book of Romans and other places. It means, it means a forcia, a forcior. Well, let me get it right. Let me pull out my phone. Lord God, I'm backsliding. I'm pulling my phone out in the pulpit. What's, what's going on with this? I'm going to die and go to hell, right? Oh, Lordy. Pardon me? <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, but he's not going to publish, and it's going to be after we get done. Now, now, now listen, I, when I'm studying this other day, I got several preachers, you know, and I come across something, I'll send them a text. And here, here it is. I said, I want to show you something this morning. Romans 5.10, and I gave the verse of Scripture. Now, the phrase, much more, is what is called a, and it's spelled F-O-R-T-I-O-R-I-F-O-R-T-I-O-R-I. And here's why I needed my phone to try to give you enunciation. It's for she ori, for sheery, for sheery, for sheery. Now, you know what that means? It means drawing a conclusion that is even, get this now, put this in cap letters, that is more certain than another. It's more certain than what proceeds. Glory to God. Isn't that, now that was worth coming here. I didn't do a good job presenting it, but the truth that I presented, let me give it to you again. Much more is a phrase which means a for she, for for shiri, for she or re, okay? F-O-R-S-H-E dash, and then an O-R, and then an E for, for Y'all get it, all right? Y'all go home and look the thing up and learn how to pronounce it. I practice and everything else. And it means that we're drawing a conclusion that is greater than what preceded it. Man, I'm telling you. Now, let me read it again with that thought in mind. For when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son... Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. I don't know about y'all, I say glory to God, and we'll just quit right there. I mean, I, you know, I, I remember when I couldn't believe this, and I'm going to tell you the truth, part of why I didn't believe it uh, back in those days, it was how it was presented to me. It wasn't presented, you know, it was kind of in a, in an arrogant way. There, there was a great move going on at that time when I got saved and called to the ministry on Pond Fork. The Lord, the Lord did a great work through a man that, I mean, he raised a church up for a short period of time. And, and people in that church, they've gone into so many different places to do ministry. Go prepared, you know, go to college, give themselves, you know, to the work of the Lord. And then after his untimely, unfortunate accidental death 
being electrocuted under his house while he was working on his water pipes, the church fell apart. But God did something mighty. Now, the young men my age and younger that were trying to convince me that I was wrong, they had good intentions. They, they, they were just as fired up as I was. But the way they presented it to me, I, I, I was defensive. They didn't try to explain it. They just proclaimed it. You follow what I'm saying? So I'm not trying to throw them under the bus. They, they're good men. They were my friends back then. They, they're still my friends, although I haven't seen them in probably 40 years. Lots of them. But I'm going to tell you what. When I decided I'm just going to let this book speak, I'm going to believe what God says the best I can understand. And whatever else anybody else wants to do, I'm just going to leave that up between them and God. So this is what you've gotten into. I'm glad you come. I hope you are. If you enjoyed it, tell somebody else and pray. I can't wait now to get back here next Tuesday. Now, anybody got any questions, comments? We still got a little bit of time. Well, see, I can give you one out of Revelation, but that's not what it's speaking. If any man you know, adds to or take away from this book, I'll take away his name out of the lamp, or his part out of the Lamb's book of life. But, but, but you see, it's got to be rightly divided. But you're, it's a great question to put to it. Me too. And even now, if the devil comes up to me and says, Son, you're, you're living a hypocritical life. You're lost, going to hell. You've never asked Christ in your life. So, okay, smutty faces, hang on. And I'll say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. Right now, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd save me and forgive me my sins. And I say, Okay, smutty face, take that. And he leaves, dude. I'm telling you. I just found out how to stand up with him and deal with him, you know? Used to believe him. Used to believe him. So anyway, all righty. I honestly hope you enjoyed. You can let me know and uh, thank you. Anybody else? Share something?